on those lunch meetings, that's why I'm going to ask this question every time. Hey, if you were me, what would you be doing differently? If you were running this company today, what do you think, what would you change? What are, what are the things we're doing wrong? What are the opportunities we're not taking advantage of? Like, I'm going to throw that out there to every single one of them during that lunch meeting. That's going to give me a lot of, that's going to give me a great starting point. I get to introduce my good friends who probably need no introduction because if you're a fan of, of PM Build uh, or you're a fan of, okay, Mark, is it is it the Property Management Business Podcast? Is that the title? I think What's so. What's the, the title of your podcast? Yeah. Uh, this week. Yeah, that's what it is. The Property Management Business Podcast. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, great podcast. Highly recommend. I've loved the episodes I've been able to catch so far. And Mark puts out uh, some great content on YouTube and through email regularly. So... I'll just put a, put in a plug there. Uh, love Mark as a, as a great resource there. And then we've got Gwen Aspen, none other uh, than Gwen. Anna Quinn was getting shout outs earlier today. Uh, Gwen, uh, as Cameron was speaking, I know Angela is a big fan uh, and, and it talks about the transformation Anna Quinn's had on her business. So love your expertise, both in your history as a, an operator, building a business well over a, a thousand doors, and then also working with a number of property management uh, businesses and supporting and through the, through the Anaquin business. So it's great to have both of you here today uh, and talking about this topic, and we're going to get right into it. Here's the first question I, I want to go with this. As people are approaching this, you know, and maybe some people have already started the process, but some people are probably getting ready to start this process. And, you know, would love for you guys to start with as you think about before actually doing the act of annual planning or strategic planning, um, what are some of the things people should think about in preparation or in, in leading up to that, to, to make that effective? And, uh, and Gwen, we'll start with you first, then come to Mark. Sure. So I've come to strategic planning only from making a million errors in the past. So, so this is all just because I did all the things wrong, but one is I've tried to do offsite meetings in like nature and this is a horrible idea. You really do need internet connection when you're doing these meetings to be effective. So that's one thing. The other thing to think about is who you really want to be in the room. We've done some something where we're trying to be so collaborative that the meeting really got watered down. And have being very clear on who the strategic thinkers are in your company and who's really going to be able to help you set a strong vision forward for the next year mostly, but like up to three years is super important. And also another thing as I was reflecting on this that has come up a lot is the people in the room have to have the same level of comfort with controversy or conflict. Because some people in the room, if they are like really nice and Midwestern, they're not going to do well and they'll shut down if there's a higher level of conflict. Whereas if certain people are from maybe I'm from Detroit, so we're like a little rough, you know, over there. So I'm comfortable with a higher level of conflict. And so I feel like we're not having a good meeting unless we're like getting really passionate, but that can shut the Midwestern, like really nice people down. So having a really good discussion and even beforehand about what's allowed, what the rules of engagement are for the meeting really helps it be more successful. So those are the things that I would I would say are really important off the top of my head. Love that. Love that. Um, and I love seeing in the comments of uh, 
people talking about bringing a little East Coast into their uh, into their meetings and 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 uh, Midwest conflict avoidance. That's great. Mark, we'd love to come to you next of like thinking about in preparation or setting the table for this. What, what are some of the important lessons that you've learned or would be helpful to think about? Yeah. And when we talked about this uh, a few days ago online, it was interesting because Gwen and I come at this from vastly different perspectives. You know, the first, of course, because Gwen said, she's she's East Coast mean. I'm just nice. I'm a nice person. So yeah, we, we both start from very different places uh, that way. But but Gwen talked about how you know, she's very collaborative and uh, brings in you know, her leadership team. And, and we've always not been that way. So uh, my philosophy on that is I, I want to hear from my people. I want my finger on the pulse. But but as far as like collaboration, like, hey, what do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? That's that's kind of you knowing yourself, right? If you need that and if you like that, then great, do it. That's not me, right? I want to hear from my people and then I'm going to kind of run this meeting with me. And it is, it is not a right or wrong, but I think that is an important aspect of, of knowing yourself and knowing the people you want in there. But do please do not just get everybody in your organization together in a big room or offsite, as Gwen said, even worse for a couple of days and, and just give everybody an equal voice because that's just going to lead to chaos. Um, so, so I think you want to know your who, as Gwen said. And then for us, really the the first step in that process, or, or for me, I should say the first step in that process, the first question I want to ask is what should we stop doing, right? Before I plan on next year and before I add more things to the plates that we're already too busy to do anyway, I want to ask myself, what what should not only I stop doing? And Cameron talked a little bit about this, right? Like what, what are the things I need to stop doing? I need to delegate away. But that needs to be a significant part of the planning, at least for us, it's step one. What do I need to stop doing? And just as importantly, what does our company need to stop doing? So, so for example, uh, for us this year, we're, we're going to stop doing uh, lease-only type things. That's where we we run out of property and give it back to the owner. And we do full full service management, but we'll also say, oh, you just want to find it, find you want us to find a tenant for you? Great. We'll find you the tenant and give it back to you. And that that's a good thing, but it's not the best thing. So when I say stop doing things, I, what I don't mean is like pick out terrible things and stop doing them. Like, I'm I'm going to stop smoking five packs a day. You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what are the things that your business is doing that from the outside looking in, you can say, yeah, that, that's a pretty good thing, but it's it's not killing it, right? It's not just amazing to where you say, oh, I would never, ever stop doing that. So we almost find our, our rule is like, if we find ourselves contemplating stopping doing it, then we should probably stop doing it because the things you shouldn't stop doing are rather obvious. So if there's those things that you're like, yeah, I, I don't know about that, then we're just going to chop it. And we've learned that by doing this, now we create the space for th- these new things uh, we want to bring on. So the things that, that we're going to stop doing, the things that I'm going to stop doing, that is kind of the, the precursor to any of the planning for us. Hmm. I, w- I want to do a quick follow-up with each of you based on a, a couple notes that I had down here. Because, you know, Mark, one thing I love about you is like, you've got this great conviction as an operator. And when I listen to you, I, I also hear like, great challenges of like conventional wisdom in some area, right? Or like common practice of, hey, that's not necessarily just because it's common doesn't mean that it's a best practice and thinking about deeply about the why behind it, you're doing some things. And something that got my attention was like how intentional you are about really taking a pulse on what's happening in the market and how getting clear on what's happening in the market, informing what plans you're setting for next year and where your kind of areas of focus are. Could, could you kind of give a little more detail of like 
you know, how you think about that and, and what your process is for letting the market inform yeah. your plans. So our, our philosophy for 45 years, since our 45th year in business has always been follow the opportunity, like those three words, follow the opportunity. And what we've learned is the opportunities typically don't come from, from us, from my ideas. The opportunities come from the marketplace. Right? So I, I can have the grandest plans I want to have five years ago. If I was like, you know what, we're, we're going to, we're going to work with, uh, accidental landlords. That's who we're going after. Well, that wouldn't work because five years ago it was investors coming in the market. So you've got to pay attention to, to the opportunities that the market is giving you, not just what you want or what you envision type of a thing. So when the sales market is hot, because we do everything, right? We do sales, we do commercial, we do residential. When the sales market is hot, what I literally told my team, I said, guys, sell every property we have. Convince your owner clients to sell it all. That's the opportunity. Now, now my job is to figure out how we backfill, <laughs> but that was the opportunity. Sell it all. And then right now, you know, what's our opportunity in my view in the market? It's accidental landlords. People saying, I would like to sell, but I can't. Or maybe I don't really want to sell because I've got a 2.99% interest rate. So I'm going to convert this house to rental property. That's the opportunity. The opportunity is in investors. Investors are not buying properties like they were a couple of years ago because interest rates are high and, and cap rates are low. So they're not doing it. What's the opportunity? Accidental investors. So we are pushing the pedal 100% down on the accidental landlord. We're bringing that on. Now, uh, so a year from now, uh, that may change. Six months from now, that may change, right? That's a big part of this as well. We, we've got to pivot. You've got to be ready with this massive plan you put in place, put it in place, and then and then something like COVID happens. But I, I love uh, I love the Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? So yes, get your plan. But when you get punched in the face on January 2nd, you've got to pivot immediately to follow what that biggest opportunity is. So we're very market- that way. Yeah, that's great. I love to share that. And Gwen, I, I had I had a word I wrote down here, although it looks like maybe you're about to follow something up on Mark. So I'll just throw this out and get out of your way. But I wrote down the word festivus. Uh, and it, it got me <laughs> it got me thinking about something you said of easy to overlook. Hey, what may kind of be going on or on people's mind in the team that could get in the way of conversation? And I'm wondering if you could add a little bit of color to that. Yeah. So in my well, I work with my husband. I've worked with uh, business partners in my property management company for 16 years. And so, what I found through my own experience is that when you have these business partners, sometimes things get thrown under the rug that need to be addressed. And so, we like to go into our strategic planning meeting very intentionally. And what that means is that before the meeting takes place, we really review our relationships with all the other owners the other owners or the key players at the company and make sure that we're not going into the meeting without airing any grievances or overcoming some kind of barrier. So I don't know if you guys watch Seinfeld. So Seinfeld is a show and they have this one, uh, they have Christmas. It's like Festivus for the rest of us. And they, it's a, it's a party where they air their grievances. So we're just trying to make it light of it, but just make sure all of the relationships are like cool and everyone's good and everybody's happy. And so that way we don't have an elephant in the room. And when we focus on the strategic planning, we can get to the business at hand instead of having some of the conversation, you know, maybe be like underhand. I don't know. It can get like messy if that's not worked out ahead of time. The other thing that we make sure people do is we want to have a really good review of the KPIs 
and have kind of a report going into the strategic planning session. So we shouldn't be fooling around in our computers, pulling up a profit and loss during that meeting. All of that should be done on the front end. So we know what last year looks like. Now we're going to have a 15 minute presentation about what happened or didn't happen in the previous year. But we just don't want to do the actions of finding everything during the meeting because it wastes everybody's time. And it's a very expensive meeting if you have, you know, three well-paid people in the room, if you will. The other thing, like Mark, looking at the market opportunities, we just do that in, in a way of with like the SWOT analysis. So what are our strengths? Uh, what are our weaknesses? What are the opportunities, which would include market opportunities? And what are the threats? And so that SWOT analysis, as well as a, a review of how the prior year went, is how we kind of get a landscape picture of where the company is. And that enables us to be strategic and planning for the next year's initiatives. Love that. Hey, um, can I add something to that, Andrew, before we move on? Please. Uh, just to piggyback on, on Gwen's statement there, on on your numbers, right? So so for us, I'm I'm pretty systematic with this stuff. And I said, you know, step one is what are we going to stop doing? And for us is, is what Gwen just said. For our step two, it's review our numbers. And, and we do that in a really like three different places. Um, so I'm, I'm going to review our P&L for the year, right? To see where our financials are. And then we're going to review uh, internally what we track. We call, kind of call it our CEO dashboard. Uh, and that's a, a month by month spreadsheet where we pull, I don't know, 50, it's like 50 random numbers. And they are random. From our business everything from how many google reviews do we have to how many open work orders do we have to what's our average rental rate what's our average management fee what's our profit margin uh, how many employees do we have it's like a smattering of information right so we're, we're going to review that and then the third thing that we're going to review is what we kind of call our our trends doc where we take almost all those numbers on the ceo dashboard and we plot them against the same quarter of the prior year and then that tells us the trend so that gives us a ton of information going in so we can look at it and say, oh my gosh, we're, we're in trouble. We're, our profit margin's going down. Our door count is going down. We're, now we know the opportunities we better focus on versus, oh wow, this has been an amazing killer year and killer quarter. We're doing great. Maybe we can take a little more risk in, in, in going after what we want to go after because we've got more margin. So that, that idea that Gwen mentioned there of like knowing where you start to race from Oh, that that's imperative because if you don't know where you start from, what's the point of setting goals? And so, just a point of like what we actually do. So, uh, we use this software. I don't work for them, although I should because I love them so much. We use a software called ninety dot ninety dot io. It's n i n t n i n e t y dot io. And we have all of our metrics in that software and it has been a total game changer. And if you're into EOS, it gives you agendas for your meetings and everything like that. So I'm a huge fan of that software. And so that's where we keep the majority of our numbers, but I still do extra things and look at the numbers by the year for this specific strategic planning meeting, but that's where we keep all of our KPIs. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, just to kind of tap into this a little bit more, you know, Mark, I'm curious if you could kind of speak because I feel like there's people have different relationships, I'd say with like goals or some people are kind of like, maybe there's a spectrum of like how much you focus on goals and goal setting versus kind of like habits or routines or systems. And it, it's not that you can't, can't have both, but you know, people may fall on kind of like different, different parts of that spectrum. I'm curious, like what your philosophy is 
how you think about it and what what kind of questions are you really answering in a annual or strategic versus like quarterly or you know a, a more ongoing basis yeah and, and i thought and you're right I, I agree with you i think it's a spectrum right goals think of the extremely goal-oriented person hey i'm going to run 17 marathons by january 23rd you know that person versus the oh, i'm going to just kind of roll with it and see what what happens i'm not a huge goal guy andrew when you guys ask me like hey would you come on and talk about goals part of me learned like yeah i don't really set them so i i, I didn't tell you that until now so i don't, don't want to i don't want to blow the surprise but i'm more of the, the idea and of the mindset that if you put processes and systems in place then you don't need to focus on the big goal out there they will get you to the goal you know what what's the the, the quote i wrote down because i always forget it you don't rise to the level of your goals you fall to the level of your systems and that that's my philosophy so I can have big, big, great goals, but what am I going to do that day to get there? That's where my systems and processes come, comes in. So for example, uh, on our income side of things, we have a, a KPI, a measure of success is kind of what we call it, that we want to achieve 6% quarter over quarter net income growth, right? So every January, I don't need to sit down and be like, oh, what do we want to do this year? How much more money do we want to make this year? No, it's 6% quarter over quarter. That's the expectation. Now I need to figure out how to get us there, but I don't need to come up with the goal. I don't need to figure out how many doors we want to grow, how many owners we want to come up with. I just have to make sure that we're doing the mechanics to get us there. And over time, then that that's, in my view, that's what becomes the snowball that just rolls on itself. And then you can look up, sit back and be like, wow, we're, we're getting there. And, and we're not even having to I don't want to say try that hard, but we're not having to reinvent everything. Well, no, because we put the processes and the systems in place to achieve that quarter after quarter after quarter and year after year after year. Yeah, I could I be more I don't different. know if that's what you're looking for, but yeah. Yeah, I so Gwen, tear, tear me apart now, Gwen. Tell me how I'm all wrong. Well, no, you're not wrong. They're just different ways of doing things. Uh, I'm like, a, I love goals, you guys. I'm like obsessed. I'm a, I have a journal. I go through one of these like once a month. I'm like the ultimate nerd girl with my journal, writing my goals down. I'm like, <laughs> well, so here's my process. I I have a very specific way I want my employees and my clients to feel, which sounds really weird. So I'm focused on doing things that make them feel a specific way. So if I feel like my processes aren't equating to that feeling like we're the company that's going to just knock your socks off, then that kind of informs the goal in some ways. I mean, so that's just one of the weird things about me, but I love the goals. I'm obsessed with seeing if I actually meet the goals or not. I'm overly optimistic. And so sometimes the goals are too dramatic. And But I've gotten better at goal setting by reviewing really honestly if we succeeded or failed. And I still struggle with being specific about a goal. I'll give you an example. So I think every company is like, okay, we wrote our processes and procedures. Now we need a learning platform to put all these training videos on. Well, so I made the mistake. Learning platform was the goal. Well, was that how many videos was that? Was that a video with a test? Is that a coursework that equates to like a like a designation or a badge, what does that mean? Or does it mean just finding the software that we are going to have as a training platform? And because the goal lacks specificity, I failed at it. I couldn't even win at it. It was such a bad goal. So the specificity and getting really clear on like, if I make quarterly goals, if my quarter, I'm going on a big vacation in the middle of the quarter, 
I have to take that into consideration on what's actually going to happen based on my personal life and what I want to accomplish at work. I also have to be very clear and concise about what the goal actually is. And then we have to look at last quarter's goals and be uh, unfailingly honest on who's really getting there and not getting there. And a lot of the time, tremendous progress has been made, but the, the goal wasn't clear enough. And so it's still a fail because we have to be honest so that we can set better goals in the future. You know, the... The direction I want to take this next is, I think, like talking to a number of property managers and, and business owners, even outside of property management, like people have different frameworks of there's like a, a must, a should, a could, right? Like there's like almost different targets or, hey, here's our financial plan and budget. And then here is our, you know, a goal or something that's a little more stretch, so to speak, and, and what gets communicated to the team. And I think in the, I, I'll bucket into this, there's like a key question people often come up against of like, okay, am I hiring when it hurts, right? And running a little bit lean, right? So to speak, and, and handling things that way and making my decisions that way, potentially restricting some growth, but doing so prudently? Or am I making some investments and some forward kind of like leaning investments to, you know, th these are kind of like key decisions I feel like people are, are often challenged with and have often tried like different approaches at different times. And I think both of you come from a place of experience of like having gone at it, uh, you know, different ways. And if you could speak to your experience of tackling those kind of decisions and and what you've learned uh, from experience so far, Mark, if we could start with you. Yeah, philosophically, and, and th that's a great question uh, for me to answer because th this year for us is a, I have a vastly different answer to that question than I would have had twelve months ago if we were sitting here. So, for the history of our company, forever, we've always operated with a very lean philosophy. Right, so so if, I'll think of it this way: if you chart it out on a on a bar chart, like your, your growth curve, right? Hopefully, every year it's up and to the right. A little more growth, a little more growth, a little more growth, a little more growth. And then if you chart it out, your like your capacity chart chart as well. You know, what's the capacity? So are you built to manage a hundred doors when you're only managing ninety? Well, then you have some excess capacity. Or are you built to manage seventy five doors, but you're managing a hundred? Right, so so they're, they're going to hopefully be close, and we've always believed that we want our capacity to be under our current growth because it gives us a a level of safety, right? So that if hey, ah, that big owner just fired us, or COVID hit, and uh, you know something crazy happens, we're going to be okay because we've got that margin of safety. That's how we've always operated forever, forever, forever. Well, what happened this year is we've grown so fast that suddenly that that margin between our our doors managed and our capacity has gotten stretched further than we want it to be. And now we're feeling some real stretches because now we're like 10, 15, 20% beyond where we should be. Our capacity is way low, which from a from a strength of business and from a stability side, great. Love it. By the way, that uh, that is the aura of my being coming from behind me there, the, the light there, I don't know what's going on. But so this year in January, or, or actually uh, last month, we decided we're, we're going to flip those those growth charts because we're starting to fall behind. So we're actually, we're going to overstaff. We're going to hire more than we need. Now, a year ago, I said, no, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, Andrew. Like, no, that, that would be a bad business decision. Now, the reason I'm comfortable doing it is because we now have 18 months of growth trajectory which is really solid. So I can point back and say, no, we've been doing this for 18 months. 
that trend is going to continue, number one. And even if it doesn't continue, if it doesn't work, we have the margin in our profits to be able to absorb it. So if it blows up and you ask me a year from now, hey, how'd that work? I'm like, yeah, that was stupid. We shouldn't have hired those people. We're going to be just fine because we have the margin and the capacity to offset that loss if it doesn't work. So it, it's it's a risk versus reward uh, scenario for us. But but we've we've scaled. And my advice to companies is always don't don't do that unless you have scaled to the point that you can take the chance. Right? If, if you're managing 50 doors, don't go higher up to assume you're going to manage 350 because you, you got to get your next 25. Right? Well, we're at we're at 1,200 doors. So if we don't scale up, we're going to be fine. But the bigger you get, I think the more risks you take that way, just if you have the finances behind it. Mm. Hey, hey, Gwen, how do you think about this of like, hey, is there one target and that's what everyone's focused on? Are there a couple of guardrails or strata? And how do you think about this investment? It's a time for investment, forward leaning versus uh, lean and hey, maybe we'll prove ourselves you know, as we go and, and, and add on as we go. How, how have you approached that and kind of lessons have you learned that could be useful for folks? So I do find it useful for the team dynamic if there's a North Star metric that everyone is working towards. Um, so if it's doors, if you're growing, if it's doors, or when we had Wistar Group at the beginning, we took any piece of garbage that we could that had a roof on it and managed it because that was the game we were playing. And so as we grew, we wanted every time we got a nice property on, we would get rid of an old property. So the real North Star metric was this bucket of properties we no longer want to manage. How many have we gotten off the list? Because that was what would really motivate people at the business. So that North Star metric can be really helpful. In terms of this question of do you hire before you have it or do you, do you stay really lean? This is really hard because this is what, this is like the quintessential business question, right? Sales versus operations. And this is where people's history, knowing the market, having good intuition, this is where it all comes in, right? And so I think that it's totally, if you're a risk taker, it's okay to have big dreams, but you're going to have, if your big dream doesn't work out, you just have to keep in mind that there are real people on your team who are going to be affected if your big dream ends in them getting fired. And that that's where that real responsibility is. So I tend to be more of a risk taker than maybe your average person. And so I've had to really feel super bad because it didn't some of sometimes throughout my years of working, um, I made a mistake and I overshot and the consequence was, you know, maybe somebody lost their job because they didn't have the funds and my dream didn't work out. So if you have the 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 stomach for that, you know, you can think really big. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit more responsible with those decisions. Maybe I'm just better at understanding the market with time and business and making those mistakes and feeling the pain of screwing up. So I feel like I'm better guesser, but this is the real reason why business is so hard and challenging, why it's not for the faint of heart. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And hey, at this point, I do want to uh, draw our attention to the chat. If folks want to start, I see a bunch of, I'm looking now and I see a bunch of like comments and things people are reflecting and they're liking the different approach and different answers. Uh, there's there's more than one way to make a baby. I've always liked as a turn of phrase, more than like one way to skin a cat. That uh, Andrew, a little bit negative. Andrew, I don't think that's uh, right. I'm pretty sure there's just one way to make a baby, but I don't want to really digress <laughs> too far. 
All right, that's another panel for another time. But uh, I'll, put I'll me on that panel because I have some opinions on that. Andrew. That goes on the cards of humanity, or wait, what is it? Cards of property management? A question? Okay. That's yeah, right. that's right. I love it. Yeah, listen, there's a lot of great stuff in the comments here. Um, I I'm going to pick one or two things out, but we'll invite more questions uh, here here in the chat. Earlier in the panel, you guys were talking about, you know, hey, it, it sounds like both of you have actually gone from uh, e either saying, hey involving and like inclusive of a lot of people to Gwen. I think now it's like a smaller group of maybe just two, three, four kind of like business yes. partners that, that you're involving there. Um, if there's a small company of, you know, 10 to 12, maybe the way, you know, we can ask about this is, you know, who might be involved in the planning process market? Sounds like you may get input from a lot of people, but it's really like a one-on-one -on -one meeting, so to speak, where you're, you're really kind of like uh, assessing and reflecting here, here's uh, what we're going to communicate out is the company plan for the year. Um, I'd love to hear from both of you, like, okay, what, what's the process for getting inputs or who might you involve in the meeting? And then B, what does communication afterwards look like of of communicating what what the output of that meeting is? Uh, and Gwen, let's start with you on this one and then, then go to Mark. So with who's in the meeting, um, I really... Some people are, so I'm extroverted. So is my, my husband's extroverted. So we get to conclusions through the act of talking. So that's why collaborative process is important for us. And so I think it's really, if you're an introvert, maybe that sounds like the worst idea ever. And you should just have a meeting with yourself. And uh, like Peter Lohman says, he goes on a three-day solo. Maybe that's a better option. So it just kind of have to look at the dynamics of the people um, who are making decisions and what works best for them. In terms of communication after the meeting, we do a town hall where we go over wins and losses for the last year. And um, then we give everybody the game plan. Now, it is a little vulnerable giving that game plan because, like I said, I'm a risk taker. So if if my risky you know growth uh, ideas don't turn out out, everybody knows that that was a dream. And so it puts a little pressure on you to actually succeed at those dreams too, because everybody wants to be on a winning team. And so, but I do think it's important, uh, A, players really want to be on a team where they see the vision of the company and they understand their place in making that vision a reality. So I think it's super important to put that vision out there and let make sure everybody kind of knows what part they play in that. Yeah, so my comment, and I see Jan's question on there, you know, if you have 10 to 12 people, should you involve them? My recommendation is no. I mean, even if we had 10 to 12 people, nobody in the company besides you as the business owner has the full picture. They just don't. If you've got 10 people, there's nobody in there. And you better know it, right? I mean, you better have a clear understanding of what's going on in leasing and what's the market doing and how are your finances and is your payroll strong? And how's your IT and what's your website and your lead? Like, you've got to be looking at all those things at once. Nobody else in your company either knows it or cares about it. Nobody else is waking up at 3 a.m. working worried about the finances of the company. You're the only one doing that. So am I going to give them equal weight? No, of course not. If there's one or two people that maybe I really value their opinion and I just trust that them having a, a good sense and, and I trust their wisdom, then yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask them more. But that's where you've got to know your people as well. Right? So we've got... 30 people, 28 people, whatever. I mean, I, I try to, I, I have lunch with every one of our people one time per year. That's not a lot, but I mean, I, I see them regularly. But on those lunch meetings, that's why I am going to ask this question every time. Hey, if you were me, what would you be doing differently? If you were running this company today, what do you think, what would you change? 
what are, what are the things we're doing wrong? What are the opportunities we're not taking advantage of? Like, I'm going to throw that out there to every single one of them during that lunch meeting. That's going to give me a lot of, that's going to give me a great starting point. So maybe I will go back to one of those people a few months later as I'm planning and say, hey, remember you you suggested that we start marketing this way. Tell me more about that. You know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tap their, they're great resources. I'm going to tap them as resources, but not bring them in as a decision maker. So once, once I do that, I'm going to get all that information. Now, and this is what I agree with Gwen 100%. At the end of the day, though, when, when we get that vision, we've got to go back and sell it to our people. Because if, if I can't convince them why this is a good thing for them and for the company, well, then they're going to be like, okay, well, here's Mark's new stupid idea for the month, and we'll give him another month and see what he comes up with. So so when we had our we have a monthly all-team meeting. So when we had our all-team meeting the end of um, August, I, I rolled out our new plans for next year. And I had it all diagrammed down. I had a, I had actually, I actually had a PowerPoint. And I was talking about the market and what are the opportunities are, and we're doing this, and we're doing that, and here's the direction we're going. And I'm so excited for this. This is going to bring more stability to the company. It's going to bring more opportunities for you guys. It's going to be, you know, I, I was raw, raw, raw. I've got to sell it because if I can't do that, then it's going to fall flat, and then they just look at it as more, more work to do. Yeah, and for the ten to twelve people, was, was that the question? I did that and it was a disaster. If people don't say anything in the meeting, they shouldn't be in it. So there are a lot of people who like to sit back. And I really think it's only people who have an opinion. And at the end of the day, if it's it's people, the people who should be making the decisions or whose decision should have the most weight are the people who are financially invested in the profitability of the business. Um, because they're the ones who really have to make the tough decisions at the end of the day. Um, and then we do keep people, key people, because there are other key people whose opinions we care about. We have it kind of like that win a million, what was that million dollar, win a million dollars show where you could call a friend. So we have them like uh, ready. We're having our strategic planning meeting. We're probably going to need you to, to deliver some advice at one point or another. So they're all on call if we have a question or we want some opinion on a specific issue. Yeah, I love that. Hey, um, we're going to get a couple more questions in here rapid fire before we close out with our survey and give away some cards against property managers uh, with the expansion pack we got a couple ideas for earlier. Uh, let's see, Mark Brower, what is the difference between company vision and goals? I'll toss that one up in the middle. I'll, I'll take a stab at it. Yeah, for us, absolutely. Uh, I, I think there, there, there's no correlation there at all for, from our perspective. So our company vision is going to re relate almost more to our culture. Uh, that's how we would really frame that. So we've got we've got some behavioral values that like we pound on, and, uh, and some philosophies of property management that relates to kind of the vision of our company, the direction we're going, which is more uh, touchy feely. It's improving lives. That's the business we're in. It's improving the lives of our team members. And it's improving the lives of our tenants. So uh, yesterday at our team meeting, we told all of our people, um, "Hey, you know what? Pick a tenant that you know that's in need." And uh, call them up and tell them we're giving them a Thanksgiving present of two hundred bucks. They get a two hundred dollar rent credit. Everybody pick a tenant in need. That that that's vision, right? Is that a goal? No, that moves my metrics backwards. I'm making less money because of that. It has nothing to do with that. That's more of who we are, how we help people, the direction we're going. Um, I think for us, those two things are diametrically opposed at times. And this is a great example of that because if my goal is to increase my profit margin, you'd be like, well, Mark, that was stupid. You just lost the company a bunch of money. Yes, I did because I got to feed both those. I got to feed the vision, and I also got to feed feed the goal. So th that's that's our view of that. 
I don't think I can improve upon that. That was awesome, Mark. I, I would just say that the goals are very blocking and tackling. We divide them up into quarterly quarterly goals, and it's the how you're going to accomplish bigger a, a bigger objective over the year. And then back to Mark, touchy feely vision is yeah. the name of the it, game. Yeah, and I would I would even double down on that to say your your team members, your employees, they don't care about your goals. They, they don't they don't care how many doors you manage. They don't care your profit margin. They don't though that's you. That's us as, as business owners. What do they care about? Well, you know what? When I said call a tenant and give them 200 bucks, like you should have heard the chatter in the office that day. That's what everybody talked. Who'd you call? This was my, oh, they cried when I call them. That, uh, you know, I'm not trying to minimize the importance, but like that was that's that's a big deal for them, right? Because that's that's the company vision, that's the company culture, that that's what they get out of this. They don't care about my my metric goals. They don't care about our door counts. They care about their life every day coming in the office how it impacts them, what the company does for them, and their camaraderie with each other. We went out to lunch yesterday. Our whole team, we took them all out to lunch for you know, our pre-Thanksgiving lunch. And uh, it, it was expensive. Why did, why, what goal was that? That's culture. That's vision. Mm, love that. Hey, uh, we're going to squeeze this one in quick. I think it's a great way to close. We've got a question from Debbie. If you could go back in time uh, to your first years you know, in the property management business, what's the best advice you would give yourself then if you could wind the clock back. And uh, Mark, why don't we start with you and then Gwen, you can bring us home. Uh, be careful of what owner clients you bring on. Some of the best decisions we've made are the owner clients we've decided not to work with. Mm-hmm. So if you can, you you will grow smaller or you will grow slower if you adopt that philosophy, but you will grow from a place of strength and you won't wake up one morning with a bunch of owner clients that drive you crazy. So just be cautious and have criteria for selecting owner clients. I would say um, you get what you tolerate. So as your business grows, you'll tolerate less, fewer things will be tolerable. And so that's an interesting process. But if I had known that at the beginning, that would have been helpful. Additionally, the book Traction, I wish I had read that. That's by Gino Wigman. I wish I'd read that my very first day starting my very first business because that has really impacted our ability to to meet our goals and plan effectively. Awesome. All right. We got a shout out for EOS at the end there. Gwen, thanks thanks for sharing that. Mark, thank you so much. Uh, thanks to both of you again. It's just great to hear people who have experience measured in decades and uh, you know, and, and wisdom by the pound here. So really appreciate you guys sharing so generously. And that wraps up another episode of the Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you for pressing play. We hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration. The Triple Win Property Management Podcast is proudly produced and distributed by Second Nature, where we believe in a triple win, building winning experiences for your residents, investors, and your teams with the only fully managed resident benefits package. Visit secondnature.com to learn more and talk to an RVP expert in your area. If you have any questions, comments, or want to weigh in on the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Email triplewin at secondnature.com. That's triplewin at secondnature.com. Stay connected with us beyond the podcast. Visit our website at secondnature.com to stay updated with upcoming property management events and articles. And don't forget, you can keep the conversation going in the Triple Win Property Management Facebook group. It's exclusively for property managers. To receive even more valuable insights and updates, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link to that and much more in the show notes. On behalf of the Triple Win community, this is Laura Mack thanking you for tuning in. And on behalf of Second Nature, this is Carol Housel. Check back soon for another exciting episode. Until then, keep striving for that triple win.